control. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning on your favourite podcasting app or of course on the radio on Friday evenings with RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes, welcome to show number 933, our editor-in-chief Niall Kitson with us as always and kind of a a bit of a topic now that you've been looking into for this week especially and this is kind of wireless headphones and headsets. True wireless headphones. I've, I've got a 10 point primer if you're interested in going out and buying a set of true wireless headphones, because it turns out there's a lot more, there's a lot more variation. There's a lot more things to consider in buying a, a set of true wireless headphones other than I'm going to start with Apple and work around. Okay. Well, what, are Apple costing. the ones who kind of broke it? I know that is true wireless headphones, okay? Mm-hmm. To, 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 let me get the phrase here because the uh, Apple AirPods, all right, there's no mm-hmm. wire on them at all. It's literally just no. the headphone side of it. Yeah. Are they true wireless as opposed to uh, headsets that came before that where you would have the earbud and then you would have a little wire that would run around the back of your neck or something like that, but it wouldn't connect to your phone or anything. Like, you wouldn't have to plug it in. They were still like wireless headphones. Yeah, the, the defining thing, which is why you don't see cans, uh, on this is separate earbuds connecting to a device by Bluetooth 5.2. Those are the two sort of defining features Ooh, at the moment. Excusez-moi. Okay. Yeah, get get used to that level of detail. <laughs> it's going to be one of those right. shows. <laughs> so so, so this, this, this is what we're looking at. Okay, so what was, do you want to go with the top thing to look for or do you want to just kind of start off with things to watch out for and work our way up to the top? Okay, well, let's let's start out with sort of the, the most obvious thing. Okay. Uh, when you're looking for a pair of true wireless headphones uh, price uh, because there's so much variation mm. in it. You, you can go into a mobile phone shop and you can pick up a set of true wireless for, you know, 40 euro. You can go online on Amazon and find like a Chinese brand and get something for 10 euro. You know, the... You know, the uh, AirPods themselves start at 149 euro, go up to 259. Um, similarly, the Galaxy Buds 2, which would be sort of the the main alternative, mm. 169 euro. I've been playing with a pair from Sennheiser, which are 179. Okay. And I've also been playing with a pair from Oppo, which come in at 79. Okay. And, you know, the, is there that much of a difference between them? I haven't discovered it. All right. Okay. I was about to say that because I would very much go on the end of spending 30 or 40 quid on a, a set of true wireless headphones. That's my price point. And my thinking is, uh, number one, I'm out and about. So there's going to be all kinds of other noise. Whatever about noise cancelling that they build into all this, there's always going to be other noise, right? And actually, mm. when I'm going out for my walk, I don't like having both headsets in anyway because I like to hear traffic or somebody coming up behind me or whatever, all right? So I'd only use one if I'm listening to a podcast. And then the second thing is, is because you're out in a bit, you might lose one. Do you really want to buy yeah. a set of you know, these tiny little things for, for 250 or 300 quid and then lose one? Yeah, well, that's that's sort of what, another point I want to raise uh, is ear tips, right? So the ones that come with the uh, true wireless ones, they're usually made of silicon hmm. and you get a couple of sizes, you know, from small, small up to medium, large. large. Yeah, It's so important to get a good seal in your ear with these things because it will keep 
uh, will keep them in place, but it also uh, maximizes the sound mm. that you should be getting from them. So there's a twofold thing. So it's stability, but it's also sound. Without one, you don't really get the other. Uh, I find that um, when I was testing my ones, if there was any sort of movement, the sound got noticeably worse. Um, whereas, you know, I might sit in and, you know, get them to twist in initially mm. and they'll sound fantastic. Mm. Any sort of movement, if there if there isn't a, a 100% seal on it, it's not going to work. The, uh, the, a very uh, kind of outlier, uh, an odd one that I tested in the past was the Samsung Galaxy Buds Live, which were sort of um, kidney bean shaped things. There was no actual ear, ear tips okay. on them. And they sat in and again, they were pretty good, but any sort of, but they didn't seal in the same way. So like there's nothing actually going into your, your canal. Basically, are these working on a vibration on the actual bone of your skull behind your ear? That's, that's a very good point. I'm not entirely sure, but okay. I'm, I'm going to guess probably. Okay. Which would make sense. Yep. So, uh, and we've got sort of the three form factors that we're kind of interested in at the moment. So we have the kidney bean shaped one. I think that was, that's kind of a, uh, an outlier really. It's a, it's a thing unto itself that Galaxy tried and, and sort of left. And there's the, the, the sort of the large buds, if you will, that sort of sit in and they've got sort of the square bit on the end. And that's kind of what we're, what we're, what a lot of people are quite used to with the, with the Samsung uh, gear. Yeah. Uh, buds uh, and a couple of companies have variations on that design but it's pretty much the same uh, and then there's sort of the airpods one with the little thing dangling down uh, and i've tried i've tried all three uh at the moment my favorite not aesthetically but in terms of stability is the ones with the little bit hanging down that look quite a bit like airpods ah okay they are working best for me at the moment i'm finding uh, the best seals on them uh sort of by by default so that's something to uh, to bear in mind as well, because not not every size works brilliantly for for everybody. Once you get a good seal, that's the main thing, and perhaps you know you'll find one that that suits you, and you might stick with that style okay. for as for as long as you go. So uh, that's sort of okay. Uh, cost and ear tips related to that, and there's sort of a, a two point a two pronged attack on this is the quality of the case, which is actually super super important. Because as we know, the case is your charger. The case is your charging mechanism. Uh, so your case and your battery are, are interrelated. So with your case, you've got to make sure that it will take a licking. And that means having a really good hinge on the top. Yes, I have had that with the headphone where the, 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 the of course, they were the cheaper end as I was talking about the 30, 40 euro ones and the hinge went out a little bit and because of that, it moved the entire mechanism within the case, which meant that the USB charging point wasn't lining up with the hole and I wasn't mm. able to charge it. Yeah, yeah. So the hinge is super important. I had a set of creatives and it actually came in, I'm going I'm to call it a tube, but, but like it slid in and out and it didn't have that problem because it didn't actually use a hinge. Okay. Um, so the, the case was actually slightly bigger, but it was more secure. So, All right. so security. In mind. Also on the case, uh, would you consider the battery that is in the case? So when you put the earpods into them, it's charging them as you're on the go. Yes. Yes. And here is the point on battery because you will see three numbers listed on these things to do with um, to do with the battery, mm. right? So you will have your charge time, which is fine. You will also have, uh, and this is interesting, your 
playtime, but also your continuous playtime, right? And the continuous playtime is the one you want to pay the most attention to because that's the length of time you can have the thing in your ear playing before the charge disappears. Boom, boom. Okay, so it might right? say that it's got like 20 hours worth of, 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 of time, but what they're talking mm-hmm. about is the battery that's in the case, mm-hmm. whereas the continuous playtime may be, I'll be extreme and say 30 minutes, okay? Which means that when you put them in and you listen to them, you only get to use them for 30 minutes, then put them back into the case to charge and, okay, grand, okay. Exactly. So, you know, you'll get usually three or four charges out of each case before you need to, uh, before you need to charge again. I wasn't aware of that until I did a bit of reading into it uh, or the extent to which that was true. I thought it was initially just sort of, okay, you'll get, for example, 12 hours and then you have to charge the case or yeah. 12 hours plus 12 hours and you have to charge the case. No, you will get three to four <laughs> goes out of the case. You might get four hours continuous listening and that's the number to pay the most attention to. Okay, Grant. And that's that's the one where I find, because I do a lot of traveling and usually my journeys will be uh, two, possibly three hours long. And I need the headphones to, to last for two hours. I need to get a movie out of them. And I know mm. because because when the headphones are starting to, to wear out, I get like literally an hour and 20 minutes. Mm. <laughs> I miss yeah. the last whatever half hour of the movie. It drives me nuts. Oh, God. Yeah, that that is super frustrating all right uh yep so just uh, uh on the charge okay. case just see how see how long the the battery sort mm. of will last in there but also it's got to be tough enough and that hinge has to be great now these headphones are tiny so uh, are mm. there any controls on these headphones for being able to control the music as you're going along there are indeed yeah uh you can sort of control your music forward and back uh, you can control your um noise cancellation you can you can control pretty much pretty much everything um uh, but what's interesting is how many, uh, is it tap based or as I've noticed on the Sennheisers, you can actually sort of move your finger, finger in a circular fashion. Right. fashion. Um, so just to uh, have an idea of what and where these things are controlled. I'm not a huge fan of tapping my ears for things. I tend to find it uncomfortable, um, but you know, it's, it's there keep an eye out for it some things might work for other people mm. i don't i don't think it really matters but it's just that sort of uh what the learning curve is like for mm. the number of taps for whatever function uh and you know i guess i guess there's not a lot in there but just to check what the uh operating method is yeah i uh, uh i find that either i'm using my my watch or the actual phone to do the controls other than the, the headphones, whatever. Anyway, listen, sorry, I got, I sidetracked what I wanted to ask you about because you were talking about uh, the inserts and the ear tips and stuff like that. Um, I was going to ask you about the, a lot of these things come with noise cancellation. Uh, is mm. the ear tip a very important part of that or is it, is that how it does it or is there another method? Yeah, super important because once you get that seal, you've got full control over what you're listening to. So without without a proper seal, you're not going to get proper noise cancelling okay. uh, or the ability to switch off noise cancelling. Now, there are third parties out there that do um, sort of alternatives. Like there, there are companies out there that, that will do memory foam, mm-hmm. uh, which would be much, much more accurate for, uh, for creating that seal because it will expand to the size of your ear. Ah, However, you will have to take them off because they won't fit inside the case. 
<laughs> yeah. I keep going around that. For the last week, I've just been saying the weakest point of anything is always the bit where it fails. Do you know what I mean? You've got a 20,000, uh, whatever, euro car and just this little thing that costs a tenner is the thing that fails. And of course, you can't replace it and the whole car is bunched because of that. Yeah. Um, so, so just, just be aware of that with, uh, with tips. Yeah. If, if they're a third party, uh, they might not fit the case. Right. So you might have to take them off before you put them in. I think they do. Some of them do uh, noise cancelling and they use an electronic logarithm uh, to do the cancelling. Do you know how that works? Uh, I don't actually. Okay. Um, you are actually a, an expert on noise cancelling. We're, we're not expert now, but I have a little bit of knowledge. Uh, essentially, what happens with uh, sound is that you, you know what a sound wave looks like, okay? Sure. Now, if you take that sound wave and then you invert it so that it's the exact opposite, okay, they cancel each other out, which means that you mm. hear nothing. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, does indeed, yeah. All right. And that's what noise cancelling headphones will do. They will listen to something and it's generally a repetitive sound, something like, you know, especially if you're on a plane, all right? Mm. And there's the repetitive sound in the background and it knows it's a certain frequency and a certain rhythm and stuff like that. So what it does is it generates a waveform that is the exact opposite of that and feeds it into your ear, which cancels it out. Mm. That's yeah. how they work. So it's not just the seal, as you were saying, is super important, but there's also a little bit of uh, uh, electronic wizardry that goes on that. And it's not necessarily on, on, on all of the headphones. But listen, once we have our headphones in and all the noise is cancelled and we can't hear any babies down the back. It's all right, don't worry, I'll get over it. Uh, how about the volume level on, on, on headphones? Yeah, volume level, always worth testing out. Um, do you know what the uh, official volume limit for headphones is in the EU? Yes, it's two. <laughs> it is, seriously. Too it is a low. Uh, too low. Yeah. Very clever. Very clever. Yeah, the EU and the do-gooders, and, you know, sometimes they're a little bit too do-goody and it's like, you know, we don't want to deafen you. It's like, dude, it's my music. The whole bloody point is deafen me so I can feel it. <laughs> well, uh, according to the EU, 85 decibels is the upper limit, right? Uh, at which point I think it's... Uh, I can't remember what the term, uh, what the length of exposure is. I think it's like an hour or something like that before you yeah. start to uh, get hearing loss. 70 decibels is fine, mm -hmm. which is, you know, which is good for, you know, headphones. That's probably what you should, should leave it at. Uh, 105 and above you can get irreparable hearing damage oh, yeah. Yeah, you after would do, five yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. But that that will happen to you with a, the siren on a police car and an ambulance or something like that. It's I true, mean, yeah. It's that yeah. piercing, like if you, if you sit beside it. You're not going to listen to that in your headphones, are you? Yeah. No. I mean, is Thank Ed Sheeran really going to do that to you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, volume levels, controllable on the, uh, on the thing. And also, mm -hmm. um, because you have to sort of remember that these things pair to a mobile phone, of course, you can them with your computer, mm -hmm. but uh, these are effectively a mobile phone peripheral. Um, a lot of them come with come with a controlling app, uh, which has much more control over volume and presets and styles than the defaults. Okay. Uh, in particular, I used the uh, Samsung Galaxy Live one, and I thought the sound on its own was fine. But I listen to a lot of music that's kind of bass heavy. Um, preset, wow, huge difference. Huge difference. So make sure uh, if one is of a mind to do so and there's an, uh, there's a separate controller app, the defaults are fine. 
they're grand. But if you can get one that, if you can get an app that's specific to that model, that's great. Problem, uh, Samsung uh, will do Android. Last time I checked, they didn't do iOS. Well, there you go. <laughs> Keep an eye out for that. There you go. There you go. Um, what about Codex? I, I know that's really kind yes. of getting in under the bonnet, but is it important when you're looking at the specs of the headphones they talk about Codex and stuff? Uh, it kind of is, actually. Um, right. Uh, and here's where it gets really nerdy. Here's the here's the science bit. Um, because the reason you should pay attention to a Codex is that the quality of the audio uh, is reliant on three things, as you know. Uh, the depth, which is the sort of in, in bits, the uh, sample rate and the bit rate. Mm-hmm. So you, you sort of know roughly the difference between those three, don't you? Uh, I would know a little bit about it. I'm not even going to get into it here. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah, because well, as you said, it is the science bit. <laughs> yeah, the, the depth rate roughly, uh, if for a comparison, right, with a CD, right, the depth rate is 16-bit. Mm-hmm. Sample rate is forty four point one kilohertz, mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of the uh, a lot of the true wireless headsets are able to match. Mm-hmm. In fairness to them, mm-hmm. uh, the bit rate, however, is more than fourteen hundred uh, kilohertz. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, fourteen hundred kilobits per second. You're, are you talking about the the bandwidth? Are you? Yeah. Well, like the CD. So, so the bandwidth right. is. Uh, the bandwidth is the type of frequencies that I can hear, okay? So when you're down at 20 hertz, all right, which is considered to be the bottom for human hearing, all right, that's mm-hmm. bass, okay? Yeah. And 20 hertz is the kind of bass that will make you ill if you were to listen to it at a high volume, okay? Mm-hmm. And then 20 kilohertz at the far end is the really toppity, toppity, top thing, right? Um, a lot of people can't hear above 10 kilohertz, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly guys, women would have more sensitive hearing and would be more adaptable to hearing uh, frequencies in, in, in the higher ranges. It's just Is that a, because a thing they're, of they're more sensible and no, haven't ruined no, no, their no. hearing. It's, it's biology. It's biology. Okay. L- okay. Listen out for the, ask your, the, if, if you, your partner is a female, uh, say to her, next time you hear a really high pitched sound, ask me if I can hear it. And I, I guarantee you will come across situations where she'll go, can you hear that? And you go, hear what? <laughs> all right, as guys tend to do. All right, so that's it. So yes, yeah, so um, in order to save bandwidth and to have a better connection with your smartphone and stuff like that, they will tail off stuff like you know they might not carry any frequencies under eighty hertz. They might not carry any frequencies over fifteen kilohertz. Mm. Okay, well the, the sample rate tends to be pretty good on these things at forty four kilohertz. There, that's that sort of CD quality. Yep. It's at the bit rate that things really start to fall off because the bit rate on a CD is roughly uh, fourteen hundred kilobits per second. Yeah, when you're looking at true wireless, that diminishes dr- dramatically, yep. dramatically to the point where you're looking at maybe three hundred. Okay, so, um, where you are there on a CD, a CD is what they would call uncompressed audio. Mm. Okay, uh, and then you know when you're using codecs. What you're doing is you're taking uncompressed audio because uncompressed audio will be roughly, say, 10 megabytes per minute for stereo sound, Mm. approximately. All right. Um, uh, Back in the uh, days of Winamp and uh, uh, music downloading and stuff like that, uh, back in 2000, trying to download 10 megabytes was like, what are you kidding? What, per minute? (laughs) What are you talking about, dude? So this is why they came up with all the codecs with MP3, because what MP3 does is it's able to uh, encode it into, by getting rid of lots of 
data that you don't hear. All right. Therefore, making a smaller file and it will save 90 percent of the space. So that 10 megabytes of CD quality audio becomes one megabyte on, a, on, a, on, on an MP3. And then so codec is to, is to code and then decode uh, and then it's decoded and you're able to hear it. And the quality is quite good. But the lower that number, it's the more information it's throwing away um, and the lower the number, the, the worse the sound can be generally. And mm. that applies to the headphones. We really are getting nerdy. Somebody needs <laughs> to shoot us. Um, uh, but essentially, there's only so much data that Bluetooth can carry between your phone and your and, and your headphones and also to mm. process at the same time and stuff like that, which is why they like those lower numbers. So mm. uh, the, the bottom line, I would say, with Codex is the lower the number, the... Worst. I, I don't want to say the worst the sound because an awful lot of the time you won't notice. Mm. But just if you're looking for quality, look for higher numbers. Yeah, yeah, basically. So uh, the way this breaks down is that not every model uses the same codex, mm. right? So Apple used two, uh, and one of them is common across all the true wireless headphones, which okay. is SBC. Yeah, right. That that's sort of a fairly fairly low resolution, but it's common to absolutely all of them. Uh, and then Apple have one for their own AAC in higher bit rate, right? So that's that's what Apple will do, right? For the Android models, there's a plethora of them, and different manufacturers uh, go for different ones. Mm. So they all they all start with SBC. However, uh, Sony, for example, has thrown in behind one called LDAC. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's another one called APTX, mm-hmm. which is by Qualcomm, mm-hmm. uh, which is in the Sennheiser model. I was I was just uh, just testing. And what's interesting about uh, APTX or AptX is that there's an adaptive version of it. So one of the problems with true wireless headphones is because of the latency um, from the lower bit rate it's they're not great for gaming right there's just that there's a delay while it's processing and squashing the audio to make it fit so that you can hear it and there's the just it's a half second delay but it can be really annoying it can be it can be really annoying uh so what um the active version of aptx does is it responds to the sort of it's it's a lower bit, bit rate version but it's faster uh, effectively. Um, and you'll see a couple of codecs will have something quite similar, that there there will be sort of the standard, but they're at the same time, they will also carry a, a lower bit rate for faster speeds on, on a screen or, or whatever. So uh, that's something that's that's quite interesting to have a look at. Just see what, uh, see what codecs are supported and what quality they are, because SBC is, is sort of the baseline, mm. but you would hope that the your set of choice will also support a higher quality codec as well. All right. Um, let's wrap up with pairing because you've got a good tip and something that you discovered with pairing. Oh, good look at your face. Your face is like, oh my God. Oh, I got I to share this this life experience of mine uh, because I was, I sort of put put in this, this set that I was testing and uh, set it to pair on Bluetooth very easily done, just sort of, Tap your tap both ears at the same time, and it'll come up with a prompt. Say pairing, and I was looking at my phone on the Bluetooth list of devices that were there, and I was looking for the brand. 
right? And I was like scrolling up and down because I, every other device that I had, uh, the name of it had brand first and then what it was. So I was scrolling up and down and I was like, I can't see this. I can't see this at all. This is a really bad start. Uh, I should be able to connect right out of the box. Why am I seeing it? Why am I seeing it? Then I went and had a look at the model number on the box, which was very boring, <laughs> and went for a look at that on the list. And there it was. Ta-da. And then it paired really well. And then I looked at the box. And on the bottom of the box, it said, this is what's going to show up on your Bluetooth list. So it's not going to show up the brand. Just see what is going to show up on the Bluetooth list, whether there is a model number or a particular prompt. So the idea is, okay, with this particular manufacturer is that you get these fantastic new headphones, you read the manual and how it all works, and it works first time. Yeah. Except you didn't. Except I didn't because I couldn't find it. I don't need that. (laughs) It's not working. I can't find it. Three hours later. Oh, look at that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, look at that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when, when you have things that don't trip off the tongue, it's an issue. Uh, they should. So, I mean, my dad was always go. always one for RTFM, uh, and and he's right. <laughs> but I don't know anybody, and especially anybody who's into a bit of tech like we are. Do you know what I mean? That ever reads a manual? Do you know what I mean? You get it mm-hmm. up and you get it running and you get it working or whatever. Then afterwards, you read the manual to see if there's anything you missed. Yeah, <laughs> and that's even if you do that much. Do you know what I mean? So uh, yeah, so no, no, I think I think I think you're absolutely right. You've been testing lots of different types of uh, true wireless uh, headphones. Out of all of them, have you come up with a favourite or one that you'd recommend? Do I have a favourite? That's a that's a really good question because all of the ones I've tried have plus or minuses. Hmm. Um, I find the seal is particularly problematic in my ears. All right, okay. Um, I know, that's the pros and cons to everything. So what yeah. was your favourite? Uh, I would go with the... Probably the Sennheisers, although I have a soft spot for the Galaxy Live 2 because of the design. Uh, I like to see things that try something a little oh, bit go. different, uh, which they good, did. Too good recommended. Do you know the one thing that is kind of a bit of a pity because they're so personal, you literally are sticking them right into your ear. You can't mm-hmm. test those things out in the store. <laughs> it's true. You can't. You, can't. you, <laughs> you know, just have to ask someone you, you and just, go. Well, this is it. Like, you know, if you know them well enough, maybe they'll give you a, a, a little list. And just let me look at your ear there so I can uh, see the shape of it. <laughs> that fish in okay. <laughs> there we go. Now, thanks for telling us all about true wireless headphones. No news this week because it's still August. Uh, but uh, wherever there is news, of course, we bring it to you with hourly updates and daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie This is Tech Central your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie As we think more about sustainability one of the big questions is when is waste merely being wasteful and what could be repurposed instead of being thrown out Kira Lynch is a third-year PhD student at Biorbic, the Science Foundation Ireland Research Centre for the Bio and Circular Economies. She's working on a novel way at the moment to find a new source for insulin from a very unusual source. Mal Kitson spoke with her about this fascinating project. Kira, the subjects of sustainability and the bioeconomy are incredibly um, uh, sensitive at the moment, I suppose some might say, uh, incredibly prescient as well. So tell us a little bit about your own background and what attracted you to the field. Sure. So 
I did an undergraduate degree in genetics, um, which I obviously loved and was a lot of fun. And coming out of that degree, then uh, I had a choice to make. I definitely wanted to go into academia, um, but it was a matter of what area to choose. So I really enjoyed biomedical research and drug discovery, but I did feel that ethically there was a more urgent area in terms of trying to mitigate the effects of climate change, which is obviously a huge um, problem that we're going to be facing for the next quite a while in um, humanity's age as it is. So what I figured was I can tie the two in together. Um, and that's basically what I've managed to do with my project so far. So I'm pretty delighted. So uh, in looking at your particular uh, fields of, of interest, sort of uh, drug discovery and, and climate change, how do you feel this is tying into sort of the zeitgeist at the moment? Are you seeing it as sort of a, a potential problem solver to work with sort of the agricultural sector? Or do you see this as sort of something that exists off to the side that can maybe complement without necessarily engaging? Um, well, I'd say it's uh, definitely going to be relevant in basically all areas because all areas make waste. So my project is to do with repurposing of waste. Um, and if I can figure out a way of repurposing waste from biomedical research and from uh, pharmaceutical production, then I feel like that's completely applicable to all areas, including agriculture. So let's delve in a little bit uh, on what you're working at the moment. So tell us a little bit about your project. Essentially, I work with trying to find a use for waste that is made from the biopharmaceutical industry. So a biopharmaceutical industry just means where we produce uh, drugs like insulin, for example, using living cells to do it. So these living cells are fed with an expensive liquid broth that's called media. And um, we make about 500 million litres of this waste in one year that gets immediately incinerated after use, even though all the nutrients aren't necessarily exhausted. So our theory is that if I can take this waste and prove that it can be recycled or reused in another um, culture with a separate cell type, that we could then introduce this as a possible extra process within the biopharmaceutical industry to reduce the amount of waste made and possibly increase the amounts of drugs produced. So for example, my project specifically, I grow Chinese hamster ovary cells, a mammalian cell type, and then I use the media that was used to feed these cells and uh, after about three or four days of growth, I use this media to grow bacterial E. coli cells. Uh, and my E. coli cells are genetically engineered to produce a protein of interest, a human protein. So it could be, for example, insulin. So uh, in looking then at, at insulin as a, a particular sort of problem solver, how do you see this entering the market? Um, do you see this as sort of being a, a, another generic perhaps, or maybe this is something that might have a, an application uh, or a patent attached to it? Well, it could have a patent attached to it for the process, but not necessarily for the production of the uh, product. The product itself is uh, kind of not an important, obviously, but it's not really the focus of the project. The focus is that I'm able to produce a useful product uh, that could be insulin, but could be many other different useful proteins. Um, and I can do this while recycling a waste. So if it's, if in terms of IP, you could technically uh, patent that particular process. So then looking at the, at the process then, um, how have you gone about sort of sourcing the raw materials, which I imagine requires quite a bit of buy-in from the pharmaceutical industry? Yeah, well, it's a, a bit of a struggle to get um, 
actual industries uh, interested in trying to donate their media. Although actually, sorry, I should say they're plenty interested in donating their media, but there's a lot of regulation in the way in terms of if they give me something that a waste that has touched a genetically modified organism, technically that waste is regulated that it has to be immediately incinerated. So as a result, I can't actually, as of yet, although we're currently working on it, test um, media that was used in an industry process. So what I'm doing for now is replicating the industry process in my lab here and then using the media that I get from that to test that's a really interesting point about sort of having to to simulate uh, what you, what is uh, effectively out there uh, in the wild. So how does sort of one affect the other? Like, do, do you have to continually, you know, reassess or, or find out if there's been any process changes or is the process fairly stable? Uh, is this something that hasn't seen an awful lot of innovation over time? The process is very stable. There's minor tweaks that do get made and I do keep up to date with the literature just to make sure that there's nothing major coming along that might change how I'm replicating the process. But in general, the biopharmaceutical industry is quite uh, stringent and very rigid against uh, any kind of uh, real change that would uh, shift the process. And this is obviously then uh, a hurdle that we're going to have to try to tackle at some point in the future if we do want to try to bring into the process a method of recycling media that would be a major process change so what your one of your problems then of course is going to be looking at recycling at scale um so where do you see your work sort of fit, fitting in in that respect you know is the, at what point is the concept proven that your work can be done and can be done sustainably Yes, scale is a very interesting question. So in the first two years of my PhD, I was working at very small scale, like a picture 50 mil flask scale, but in multiple replicates to try to make sure that our standard deviation at least was significant. Um, and obviously, we I got some very interesting results whereby the spent Cho media, as in the media that's already been used to grow these Cho cells, um, was highly efficient at not only supporting the growth of the bacteria, but also in allowing the bacteria to create um, a high yield of recombinant protein, an equivalent yield, in fact, as compared to a control uh, flask growth that was done in the normal rich microbiological media called LB. Now, this is obviously at small scale. So what I've been doing the past year is working with bioreactors. So bioreactors are what are generally used in the industry, and they can obviously be huge up until hundreds of litres. We have small-scale research purpose bioreactors here, uh, five litre ones, 10 litre ones. And I've been using these uh, in just very small quantities of about half a litre first to trial to see if the spent media can still support efficient bacterial growth and protein production, even though in a bioreactor, the cell density, the cell count is much higher than in a flask. So theoretically, if you were going to reach some kind of a nutrient exhaustion, you would probably do it in these bioreactors. Luckily, over the past year, it seems that the bacteria actually take very, very well to growing at high cell density in the spent media and still have managed to give me equivalent amounts of recombinant protein yields in the spent media as compared to the rich microbiological media. So it's possible then that uh, with the same energy that's used in producing, you know, the, an existing, if you will, um, sample of insulin, you will actually be able to produce more with the same energy. 
Yeah, it's entirely possible. And in fact, it seems to be looking to be quite likely. So then uh, looking towards the future then, and you know, where do you see your research uh, developing? Do you see yourself still working in drug discovery or do you see uh, further applications that you'd like to explore? Well, I'd definitely like to see this through to the end in terms of I'd like to try and get in with an industry group um, who would maybe be willing to allow me to work with the spent media that they'd produce. So then I'm working directly from the source and not just trying to replicate the process. Um, Our replication of the process is quite accurate, I believe, but it's always better to work directly from the source, I think, on that. So um, my PhD is over next year, but I am currently working on grant applications for a postdoc that would hopefully allow me to do this, where I could see about at small scale in industry introducing bioreactors of bacterial cells that are fed with a industry spent media. Of course, part of the uh, SFI research centres is, you know, fostering those uh, relationships with industry. How are you finding your initial conversations are going? Yeah, I think that our initial conversations have been very productive and everyone seems very eager um, to try to help me to find the appropriate industry to do this in. Um, and it's really just a matter of trying to get the thoughts out on paper, you know, all the experimental planning, because that's something you kind of have to have done uh, before you really go to, to an actual industry and tell them, hey, look, <laughs> this is what I'd like to do. And that was Kira Lynch at Biorbic, the Science Foundation Ireland Research Centre for the Bio and Circular Economies, chatting with Niall Kitson. That's it for our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or of course you can check us out each week online or Fridays on RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, as always, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.